If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Uh, it was a crazy week this past week. I enjoyed representing uh, our church and our presbytery at our denomination's General Assembly in St. Louis. Um, I played a, a big part in the activities that took place there. Um, Randall Yelverton said, if you want to have any questions about it, you can ask him about that after the service, and he can explain it to you. He's had to explain to me part of some of what it means, so don't feel foolish asking. Um, I hear that I am quoted in today's Washington Post. Um, I have not read the quote. You don't read that quote yet. You can Google that later, but you can look there and get a sense of what went on at General Assembly this past week. Frankly, I think what I have to talk to you about now is much more important uh, than the quote in the Washington Post. And so I hope you'll give your attention to the reading of God's Word. We'll get to Gideon. I didn't have time to put the time into Gideon this week with all that went on. And so I just want to share with you uh, from God's Word a perspective on where we are as we celebrate Independence Day in our country. And just want to give you some thoughts on our dependence on Christ. Because today is July the 4th also known as Independence Day, that federal holiday when many Americans celebrate our Declaration of Independence uh, that we, uh, we actually declared on July the 4th of 1776. So that means on this day, 245 years ago, the Continental Congress declared that the 13 American colonies were no longer subject to or subordinate to the British monarch, King George III, but that the United States were united and free and independent states. As Americans, we love and we celebrate our independence, and that is appropriate to do so if you do that this weekend. But I want you to know as Christians... We believe the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that gospel affirms and challenges different things in every culture that encounters the gospel. And in our culture in particular, as 21st century Americans, our love for our own independence is one of those things, it's one of those places where the gospel challenges us as followers of Jesus. Now, why would that be the case? Well, here's why. Because even though we may no longer be subject to or subordinate to the King of England, that does not mean that as Christians we have no king. Because in fact, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is our king. Just because we celebrate our independence Politically, as a country, does not mean that we have spiritual independence as individual followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think nowhere in the scripture shows us that more clearly than John chapter 15. So if you would turn there, I want to put these words into some context before I read them. If you begin in John 13, we're on Thursday night of Passion Week. Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. They have the Last Supper together that we will celebrate a form of as we come to the Lord's table today. And so Jesus, during that last supper with his disciples, has told them, listen, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go. I'm going to a place that you can't go. 
And I'm preparing a place for you to be with God. He tells them that. And they're upset because they've left everything to follow him. And now he's saying he's leaving and he's going to a place that they, that they can't go. And he says, listen, I'm going to go to prepare a place, but then I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you so that where I am, you may be also, it says in John chapter 14. And that's where Jesus declares to them that he is the way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father but through him. That he's going to prepare a place for his followers so that we can be together forever. And he assures his disciples that even as he leaves, he says, interestingly, for a little while, that he will not leave us alone as orphans but that he will send his Holy Spirit to live in us, to dwell in us. And then Jesus and his disciples leave the upper room at the end of John chapter 14. And the words that we're going to read now, they're walking from the upper room, they're walking to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus will be arrested, where the next day he will be taken out and crucified. And then, of course, on Sunday morning, he will rise from the dead. That's the context. So Jesus knows. He's told his followers, I'm leaving. We're going to be separated for a while. And so these words that he speaks to them, leaving the upper room, going to the Garden of Gethsemane where he's going to be arrested, where the disciples are going to scatter. And he's predicted that's going to happen. These words are important words. Because they're the last words of Jesus to his followers before he goes to the cross. So I want you to hear what Jesus has to say, specifically thinking about our dependence on him. As we come to John 15, beginning in verse 1, hear now God's word. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's pray together as we come to God's word. Oh, Heavenly Father, you know our hearts, not just as Americans, but as rebellious creatures. In our hearts, we have a tendency to wander, to depend on ourselves to go our own way. Heavenly Father, I pray now that through your word and the preaching of your word, you would show us our tendency to wander and to go astray, that you would show us that we are not independent creatures, but that we are dependent on you for everything. And I pray that as we see you for who you are and what you offer, I just pray that your beauty and your grace and your mercy would be so beautiful that we would come to you, that we would depend on you for all things. And Father, I ask that you'd be willing to do all this, even through the sin-stained lips of a foolish preacher. 
For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As we come to John 15, we see a metaphor. And I say it's a metaphor because you realize Jesus is not really a vine, right? And you are not really a branch. He's speaking metaphorically to make a point. He's giving us an illustration. And so he says here in John 15 and verse 1, I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. He's the one that tends to them. He's a gardener. So the heavenly father is a gardener. Jesus is the vine. And we are identified as branches. And he says here in verse 2, that every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes it away. The Father removes it from the vine. It's a, it's a waste of energy. It's a waste of the nutrients going in because it's not bearing fruit. And so the vine dresser clips those branches off. What's more interesting to me is not that he takes away those that are not bearing fruit. That kind of makes sense. But then he says, he, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. I don't know about you, but I feel like when I'm bearing fruit, I feel like when I'm doing the right thing, I just have this feeling that if I'm doing the right thing, then everything's going to go well for me, right? That if I'm producing fruit for God, if I'm doing the things that he calls me to do, then everything's going to be great. <laughs> and that's not necessarily the case. Sometimes bearing fruit for the Father hurts. Sometimes it's the reaction of the world or the opposition of the evil one. We'll see that in Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17 in just a moment. But Jesus is saying here, sometimes, even when we bear fruit, it's the Father who prunes us, who removes parts of things from our lives, who removes things so that we can bear more fruit. I don't know exactly how pruning works. Lucy Edwards could probably give us a better lesson on that. But it seems to me the nutrients that are in that main vine are going off into the branches. And so when we're pruned, number one, it affects the direction that the plant grows. So sometimes God changes our direction. We're going in one way, and he says, no, I want you to focus your energies in this other direction. So by pruning, God determines the direction that he would have his people go. And he makes us more fruitful if we're not wasting our energy. If the, the vine is not giving nutrients to this, and he can give more nutrients to this vine, it makes us more fruitful in the long run. That's what Jesus is saying here in verse 2. Verse 3 says something interesting. He seems to deviate a little bit from the vine analogy. And he says, already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. He's saying you're clean. You've already been set apart from the world because of my word. Because we've heard the word of Christ. Because we follow and submit to the word. We're set apart from the world and cleansed in some fashion. Jesus gives greater clarity once he gets to the Garden of Gethsemane, remember he prays there in the garden. And in the high priestly prayer in John 17, I'm just turning one page over. In John 17, beginning in, in verse 14, Jesus is praying to the Father. And here's what he says to them. He says, I have given them your word. So he's talking about that word that cleanses us that he's just made a reference to. 
He says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Do you hear what's going on? Jesus is saying to the Father, look, I've given them, I've given them your word. I've spoken your very words to them. And that's made them different from the world. When you hear sanctified or cleansed, don't hear that as, as being removed from the world. Because Jesus very clearly says, I'm not, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world. I want them to be in the world. I want you to protect them from the evil one. But this sanctification doesn't mean that we withdraw from the world. Jesus says, no, I want them in the world, but they're set apart from the world because of the word. He says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. That as we live and move and have our being in the world around us, we are different from the world because we're followers of the word of God. And that sometimes that means the world hates us. It means the devil opposes us, but it also means that God uses us to bear fruit for his kingdom. So keep in mind that when Jesus says, abide in the vine, your translation may say, remain in me. He's calling us to abide in the word, to remain in the word. Because as we live and move and have our being in the world, the only way we're different from them, even as we are among the world, is because we know the word and follow the word and are made different by the word of God. That's what Jesus is saying here in verse 3. Then verses 4 and 5, we get that classic statement of our dependence on him. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. There's no greater statement of our dependence on God. <laughs> what about apart from me, you can do nothing, do we not understand? Unless we're connected to the vine. Unless we remain in him, abide in him. We can accomplish nothing of eternal spiritual significance. We're totally dependent on him. You want to bear fruit? You want to get something done? Abide in Jesus. Remain in Jesus. Abide. Remain in the word. Abide. Remain in prayer. Always conscious of his presence with us. Always conscious that he is with us by his spirit. Always conscious, as we talked in Sunday school, about his intercession for us before the Father because it changes the way that we lean into the world. As 21st century American Christians, we may be independent politically as a nation, but Jesus calls us to declare our dependence on him. 
and to live out of our dependence on him. You know, this is not a uniquely American struggle, although it is something we struggle with. Our celebration of our independence on the 4th of July as Americans actually reinforces and draws out of us a much deeper, much older declaration of independence that first happened in the Garden of Eden. If you want to turn there with me, I want to look at Genesis chapter 3. I want to see this declaration of independence. I want us to see it in the beginning so that we can recognize it in our own hearts. Genesis chapter 3, we read, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the tree of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Now let me stop right there. You need to understand, to understand what's going on in the story. That God had indeed, it's on the same page from if you look at Genesis 2 and verse 17, God had said that if you eat of the fruit of this tree, in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And here the serpent comes, directly contradicting what God says, saying you will not surely die. Verse 5, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Do you hear what the serpent's saying to her? He's saying, what God told you is not true. It's an attack on God's word. And he says, you know, God's holding back on you. He knows that if you eat of it, then you'll know the difference between good and evil. Well, we believe those lies, don't we? That God's word is not true. That he's holding back. That there's something more available to us if we contradict the word of God. And I want you to see what the woman does because this is very subtle, okay? This is very subtle. Lord, we know that eating the fruit was wrong, but look what she does before that. Look at verse 6. So when the woman saw... That the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. You see what she did? Of course the eating of the fruit was wrong, but, but look what she did before that. She doesn't immediately reject God's word, nor does she immediately embrace the serpent's word. What does she do? She declares her independence from God and from the serpent. She elevates herself as the ultimate judge and says, I've got God's word here, I've got the serpent's word here, I will decide for myself. That's the declaration of independence, right? As creatures, we're totally dependent on God. God is the only one who is independent. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need creation. God is the only one that is independent. 
As his creatures, we're totally dependent on him. Yet she declares her independence and she decides for herself. She decides separately and in, and in contradiction to God's word and leans on her own understanding. Okay, that's what she did. What should she have done? Instead, she should have declared her dependence on God. Listen, don't hear what I'm not saying. There are some times that we do use our brains that God has given us for discernment. If we're making a decision that is not spelled out clearly in his word, if we're applying a truth from his word to a specific situation, we need to use our brains and wisdom and discernment. But listen, where God does speak directly, we don't have to think about it. We don't have to weigh the pros and the cons. We don't have to do a cost-benefit analysis. We declare our dependence on his word and we walk in his ways trusting him. But you know our hearts. We declare our independence from God. We weigh things for ourselves. We think that we know better than him and choose a different way. Our declaration of independence from God, our attempts to live our lives separate from him, ignoring him in our everyday lives, that is the essence, it's at the core of our sin. We sin when we violate that clear distinction between the creator and the creature, that we try to live lives as independent when we are in fact totally dependent on him. In fact, it was the great pastor and theologian John Stott who I first heard say that sin came into the world when we put ourselves in the place of God and declared our own independence. But salvation from sin came into the world when God and the person of his son put himself in the place of rebellious creatures and took the punishment that we deserved for our rebellion. Oh, child of God, we all have a tendency to declare our own independence, to wander, to go our own way, as we're learning in Judges, to, to say, to do what seems right in our own eyes. It's the path that leads to destruction. It's a path that leads to heartache. Oh, Beloved, I call you today to declare your dependence on God in all things, your dependence on his word, on his power that works within you. The path of dependence on God is the only safe path. Whether we recognize it or not, we are dependent on him for everything. James chapter 1 and verse 17, we're told that every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows. We look to God for everything. Psalm 104 reminds us the water we drink comes from God. The food we eat comes from God. Listen to me. Your next breath comes at the mercy of God. Your next heartbeat takes place because of the grace and mercy of God. 
I love that scene from Star Wars and just preachers, it's a bad idea to use an analogy where Darth Vader is in like the God place because he's the bad guy, so this is really not a good illustration. But it's so clear to me. I think of Darth Vader, remember when he gets upset with somebody, he just like goes like this and all of a sudden they can't breathe anymore, like he just cuts off their air, they don't even have an airflow. He has that kind of power because of the force. We continue to exist because it is God's will that we exist. Not a hair falls from our head absent the will of our Father in heaven. We're totally dependent on Him. Well, if that is true, then how can I know if I'm declaring my dependence on God in all things? We've talked about remaining in the Word, abiding in the Word, Let me just ask you one other question. Here's a good heart check. How do I know if I'm depending on God? Well, let me ask you this question. This will help you know. How often do you pray? Out. (laughs) You see, prayer is an acknowledgement of our dependence on God. And so if we pray without ceasing as we're called to do in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 17, if we pray without ceasing, then hopefully we're dependent on God without ceasing. If you go days at a time without praying, then you're probably going days at a time without declaring your dependence on God. To my own shame, I can actually declare my independence from God in my prayer. That is hard to do, but I can do it. Maybe you recognize it in your prayers. I pray something like this. I'm going through my day, and I'm really trying to dedicate everything to God. I'm really trying to to, to show my dependence on Him. And I may say, hey, you know, at at 9 o'clock I'm meeting with Randall. Please bless our time. Give me words to say. And then maybe I say, you know, at 10 o'clock I'm meeting with Paul. Lord, please be with me. I really need you for that conversation. But 11, I'm meeting with Corbett. And I really need you to show up for that meeting. I really need you to be there in that one. Do, Do you hear what I'm praying? What I'm really saying is, Lord, you know, be aware of the 9 and 10 o'clock, but really underneath, I think I've got it. I think I can handle those fine. I can do that in my own strength, not depending on you. But boy, I really need you to show up at 11 (laughs) o'clock. If John 15, 5 is true, for apart from me, you can do nothing. We need him every second. We're always dependent on him. And we must, growth in the Christian life is recognizing that dependence day by day, moment by moment, second by second. We're all dependent on God. And as we celebrate our declaration of independence politically as a nation, let that be a reminder to you when you see flags flying, when you hear fireworks going off, when we celebrate our independence, let all those things be a reminder to you of your dependence on your great God and King. Psalm 127 puts it well, unless the Lord builds the house... Those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. 
Jesus is very clear in John 15, 5. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's pray and ask him to, to help us depend on him. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, on this day that we celebrate our independence as a country, we as our followers declare our dependence on you. Help us to depend on you daily, moment by moment, second by second, that we might be a people who are ever mindful of our dependence on you. We cannot do this on our own. We have a tendency to go to stray. Father, send your spirit. Fill us with your spirit that we might be people who recognize and declare to others our dependence on you. Please come and do this for your glory and our good. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.